bit of this in the beginning. So let's stand when you got it, and let's uh, allow God's rightful place of His Word to be exalted here. It says, After these things I heard a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven saying, Say the word. Oh, you're going to have to do a little better than that. Say the word. Hallelujah. Salvation and glory and honor and power belong to the Lord our God. For true and righteous are his judgments because he has judged the great harlot who corrupted the earth with her fornication. We saw that in chapters 17 and 18. And he has avenged on her the blood of his servants shed by her. And they said, Hallelujah. a little slow over here. And they said, her smoke rises up forever and ever, and the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who sat on the throne, saying, Amen. Amen. Then a voice came from heaven, then a voice came from the throne, saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, and those who fear him, both small and great. And I, and I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, as the sound of many waters, and as the sound of mighty thundering, saying for the fourth time, Hallelujah. for the Lord God omnipotent reign. It's the only place you find that word in the entire Bible. It's right here. Father, we're thankful for what you want to do, Lord, as we spend time in your word, your living word this morning. And so, Lord, may we truly quiet our hearts for you to be able to speak to us through your word. That we might truly walk away from here with a new perspective on life. That we might walk away from here so excited and so much greater in love with you than when we first walked in. So Lord, bless our time, God, in your word. Lord, bring, bring it forth, to bear it forth, that it would bring forth fruit in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Hey, and as you're seated, you got to ask yourself this question. Before we begin, would you rather have dinner with Jesus or be dinner for the birds? Because that's the options here in chapter 19 as, as you know, we saw in chapter 16, God declared it's done. And then in 17, 18, and 19, we get some details. The religious system was judged in 17, the, this Babylonian system that tries to influence us and, and what to buy and what to do was judged last week in chapter 18. And then this week, well, it's the great battle of Armageddon. It's all detailed out. And either you're going to have a feast at Jesus' table or you're going to be a feast for birds. There isn't no, well, can I kind of like be lukewarm in between there? No, it's, those are your two options. So reservations are now being accepted if you don't have one. They're being accepted today. Today, mankind has choice. One is going to be beautiful and glorious, sitting at the feast with Jesus. The other is going to be brutal and bloody as you become feed for birds. Welcome to chapter 19. If you've read ahead, you know exactly what I'm talking about. After these things should cause us to say what? After what things? After the world's religious, political, commercial systems that billions of people have placed their faith in have, been, have collapsed and been destroyed by God? Remember those things? We spent a couple of weeks looking at them. Those things that want to deceive you and seek to direct and drive your life today. After those things are all destroyed by Jesus, what's the first word that John heard in heaven? Say it. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. It explodes in heaven. Or hallelujah, same word. Same word. You can be the holly or the ollie. It doesn't really matter. Holly, ollie, doodle, day. But it doesn't matter because this is what's going to happen. See, the church is safely tucked away. And obviously, we hear the words, it is done. And we bust out in spontaneous praise. And who's declaring this word that shows up in the New Testament for the very first time right here in this chapter? It says a great multitude in heaven. It could be us. It could be the angels. But before we get done, it'll definitely be us. So you might want to work and be able to say really loud, say, Hallelujah. might want to work on that a little bit. I bet you it's going to be a little louder when we get to heaven. 
Four times in the next six, six verses we find the word Alleluia. Matter of fact, like I said, it's the only place in the entire Bible that it shows up. It's right here. And they're going crazy. We did see the words it is done back in chapter 16. So maybe when we hear it's done, we just kind of break out in spontaneous praise. Now, not just Alleluia, that means praise the Lord, is being declared in all of heaven. What's the next phrase here? Look, what it, look at it in verse 1. Salvation and glory and honor and power belong to the Lord our God. We got to own this here, team. So the, the, the words of God is you and me, as John includes himself in heaven here, who are declaring these things belong to whose God? Our God. Salvation and glory and honor and power belong to the Lord our God. That, that speaks of personal ownership because he's our personal Savior and our Lord and our God. We have a personal relationship with him. Man cannot do or receive any of this stuff here. This is all God's stuff here. God receives all of this. For true and righteous are his judgments. And here's why. Because he's judged the great harlot who corrupted the earth with her fornication. And he has avenged. Jesus has avenged on her the blood of his servants shed by her. You know, in verse 2, this, this word that it, for judge the great harlot, it's the same word for, that's used for idolater. So everything of the world system that was used by the devil and his demons to try and draw you away from doing what Jesus wanted you to do. Everything in this world system that was used by the devil and his demons that was seeking to make you busy doing things in this world rather than doing the things of God. And you know what? Let's face it. There's a lot of good things in this world. But you know what? You and I, we're not of this world. We're visitors. This ain't our home. It's not our home. We saw last week, people are weeping over that system that was destroyed. But here in heaven, chapter 19, we're rejoicing. And, and I hope that the message from last week took root in all of our lives to where we understand that there's this Babylonian system that wants to dictate, wants to tell us what to buy, how to live, and how to live it. Church, we've got to wake up to that. We've got to be aware. So you can tell by looking at your life if that word took root in your lives last night or last week. You could tell if, if it took root, if you, ignore, if you ignored the calling of this Babylonian system. If you ignored it. If, 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 it, if, you, try, if you sought to stay in the place where God wanted you to be, well, hey, you were in a good place. But if it seeked to move you away from God, the Babylonian system won last week. If that Babylonian system sought to move you away from God's people, it won. If that Babylonian system, no matter how good that thing was that you were doing, moved you away from God's word last week, it won. But if it didn't move you away, you're in a great place. It's critical that we understand this. The system that wants to get you, you and I busy doing stuff. You know, the, honestly, the only stuff that you and I, the church, should be about is going out and making, is preaching the gospel and making disciples. We can do that in our jobs. We can do it in our free time. But that's got to happen. Did that happen last week? Or did this system suck the life out of you and pull you down into its way. Well, we're seeing here, they're rejoicing because it has no power. It's been destroyed by God. Christians, we don't walk and talk with Jesus when it's convenient for us to do. Now, that's what lukewarm does in the last days. I'm going to walk and talk with Jesus when it's convenient. No, we, we don't do that. We walk and talk with Jesus today because he's calling us to do that Every day, to be drawing near to him. The Bible says as we draw near to him, he draws near to us. You don't think God of the universe wants to draw near to you this coming week? Oh, I, I know he does. Well, then the Bible says draw near to him, and he'll draw near to you. 
Jesus made it so clear in multiple places in the scriptures on how you and I should be about our business after he left. And it's in Luke chapter 9, verse 23. We're going to turn there and look at that. Hold your spot here. We'll come right back. Quick detour. You might even have it memorized. But in these last days in which we live, we've got to be seeking to live the way Jesus has called us to live and not the way this Babylonian system wants to somehow dictate how we should live. So I want you to see this with your own eyes, the words of Jesus in Luke 9.23. Then Jesus said to them all, if anyone desires to come after me, anybody desire that today? Eh, a couple, like... For the record, less than 5%. <laughs> Anybody want to come after Jesus today? Oh, we've improved quite a bit. Let him deny himself or herself and take up his cross daily. How often? Daily. Can't I just do it on Sunday? No, no, these are Jesus' words. You can't change them. And follow me. So who's the shot caller here? Jesus is. I mean, this is what he's saying to those people that were with him. He said, look, you want to follow after me? Look, then there's, here, here's, the, here's the things that are going to get in your way. You've got to deny yourself, and you've got to pick up your cross daily, wherever that takes you today, this week, and you've got to follow me. Because he's the shot caller of our life. He saved us. He's going to bring us into heaven. We're going to sit at his banqueting table. He's got to be Lord. He's got to be. You know, daily is not the same as convenient. Please notice it doesn't end there, verse 24. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. So we got options. You can deny yourself, take up his cross daily for you, and follow Jesus' lead for your life throughout the day. Or you can seek to save your own life and do what you want to do as the Babylonian system that was destroyed by God last week is directing and guiding you. But Jesus says in the end, you'll lose that. Verse 25, for what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and is himself destroyed or lost? But see, the entire worldly system that God destroys, there's no profit there, team. We've got to understand that. See, before we came to Christ, we were driven and we did whatever we wanted to within that Babylonian system. But now that we're believers in Jesus Christ, now that Christ lives in us, we move away from that system. We deny ourselves. We pick up our cross daily, even as Jesus did. We're submitted to the Father's will for our lives. And then we get to go on an adventure of our lifetime following Jesus. And see, that's why everyone in heaven is rejoicing right now, because God destroyed that Babylonian system. Verse 2 again, back in Revelation 19, for true and righteous are his judgments. That's how God judges. You never need to wonder or worry whether or not God's going to be fair. No, tr he, true and righteous, because he's judged the great harlot who corrupted the earth with her fornication, and he has avenged on her the blood of his servants shed by her. And, and as those things are being spoken, all of those in heaven hear this, they go crazy all over again, and they say, Hallelujah! For smoke rises up forever and ever. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures, they fell down and they worshiped God who sat on the throne saying, Amen, so be it. Right on. Hallelujah. And as all of this is going down, a voice comes from, came, or came from the throne saying, Praise our God, all you his servants and those who fear him, both small and great. Because see, in heaven, nobody has a position. We're all the same. Now, you may have more rewards than others in heaven, but you know, we're still going to all be the same. And as this voice goes out, team, if, 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 we, if it hasn't been our chance to go, hallelujah, this is definitely our cue here. So we kind of want to like learn this here. So, you know, when you get there, you're ready to shout and you're not going, hey, what did they just say? So as this, as this voice came from heaven saying, praise our God, man, that's when you're fired up and you're ready to bust loose. So we want to learn this. So you know what to do when we're standing there watching this whole scene go down and I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude. No doubt we're in this group. 
as the sound of many waters and as the sound of mighty thundering, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God of omnipotent reigns. If we weren't in the earlier groups, we're definitely in this one. There's this great multitude is present. You want to be in this group. And please notice, there is no holding back in heaven. Our worship is going to be explosive. So if it's going to be explosive on, in heaven, why don't we learn how to make it explosive on this earth? Would that be okay? I mean, I mean I, yeah, it might make you a little uncomfortable, but not if you've denied your... Yeah, it's like, yeah, it's just me and Jesus. Why do I want to seek to save my life when I worship? I, I, I don't know. I remember I was in the YMCA in Santa Barbara, and I remember the worship leader up there said, hey, look, you don't worship the people beside you. You worship Jesus. Don't worry about them. Just lift your voices up to the Lord. Because I, as a new, I wasn't a new believer, so I was like, that was like 87, so I'd been a believer for four, four or five years. And I was pretty self-conscious. But after he said that, yeah, duh, I don't care what people think. I ain't here to worship them. Some of us, that could like be a good word for today, you know. You're just like, who cares what people think? We're not worshiping the person beside us. We're going to definitely bust loose and go crazy when we're in heaven. I mean, there's coming a day when true, the true believer that is violently removed from this earth, we're going to be standing there in heaven, we're going to be in our new glorified bodies, and we are going to be worshiping with everything we got. So why not settle that issue in our hearts today? You could. It's flipping the switch. It's like, I'm not, I don't care what anybody thinks beside me. And you, man, you just sing it out. You don't care what it sounds like, because God doesn't care what it sounds like. God wants a joyful noise. So that means... Everybody's good. You might want to circle that word omnipotent. Jesus came as an infant to die for man's sin in his first coming. But when he comes the second time, he is going to, he is going to come as the all-ruling, all-reigning, all-powerful Lord God Almighty. Yeah, they might have pushed him around the first time he came. He allowed them. They ain't pushing them around the second time. Look, look at verse 7 here. It's almost, there's almost like a three-part Bible study in here. Salvation, rapture, and the return to earth for a thousand years. It's right here. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come. It's party time. And his wife has made herself ready. That's us. So in a Jewish wedding, in a Jewish marriage, it's really three parts. There's the betrothal or dowry when you know, you're waiting for the bridegroom to come. For us, that's salvation. You know, he's come into our hearts. The, the dowry thing's been paid in full. And so now we're just getting to know him. There's no physical contact at all in this part of a Jewish marriage. You're just getting to know the guy. You know, it's, maybe it's been prearranged from like, I don't know, the foundation of the world that you're going to marry this guy. Are you going to marry this gal? And in a Jewish wedding, that's, they're, they're, you know, it's kind of like the engagement period, but no physical contact, just words. And next, the bridegroom comes and, and takes the bride to the, his place to consummate the marriage. If you don't know what that is, you can ask, talk to your mom and dad. It's called the birds and the bees, and you, know, you can figure that all out. But Let's call that the rapture. You know, we're, we're betrothed. We know it's going to happen. Boom, he takes us away. And lastly, the groom takes the bride to the multi-day party. And that's where, we hear, that's where we are here in chapter 19. We go to this multi-day party where that's never going to end. For the marriage of the lamb has come and his wife has past tense made herself ready. Okay. Say this with authority. Who's the lamb? Okay, that was pretty good. So the lamb is the one that you and I fell in love with. The lamb is the one who shed his blood for you to be able to enter into a relationship with him. 
The lamb is the one who wants to be intimately involved in every detail of our life. And why would we ever want to hinder that? When the ruling, reigning king of the universe wants to be involved in every detail of our life, why would we ever want to go it alone? I don't understand that. Okay, so with some authority, who's the wife? Us, the bride of Christ. That he has chosen and she has, past tense fact, made herself ready. I've done a lot of weddings, went to a lot of weddings. I'm sure you've went to some weddings as well. Has anyone ever seen a bride making herself ready as she goes down the aisle? Anyone. For the record, that's no one. Oh, wait, I got to get my makeup just right. No, you're almost there. No, no one has. I've never seen that. Now, I've been in the back rooms, you know, and there's a lot of activity going on in those back rooms. But I've never seen any bride make herself ready as she goes down the aisle. Today's the day to be ready. Today's the day to be ready before Jesus comes back. It's critical. We all know that salvation is not earned. It's given and it's received. But please don't make, miss out on allowing the Lord to make you his bride ready today. We've got to be ready. Can we like kind of get weird for just a moment? You know, just for a moment. We're all women, single. We're the bride, okay? We're all the bride, we're all single women engaged to a man. We're, we know we're going to be the bride of Christ. We know Jesus is going to be our husband. He's left us his spirit as a guarantee that he's coming back for us. He's left us his, the Holy Spirit to help us. He, he's left his spirit to remind us to be watching and be ready. So let me ask us, do we need to make any changes or stay the course we're on? I mean, we're the bride. I mean, it's just us. Do I need to make a change today? Or can I just stay where I'm at and I'm going to be in a great place? I don't know. Only you can answer that. Are we living in, t in anticipation that our new husband is just days away from coming to get us, to take us to his home and be with him forever? I hope so. I hope that's where we're living. See, we want to just keep ourselves ready and watching and we want to keep ourselves pure for our husband that's coming. I mean, God's heart is that he'd present us as a chaste virgin to his son. Or as Paul puts it in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God. God this is God's word, which is your reasonable service. It's reasonable. And do not be conformed to this world especially that Babylonian system, we saw it's destroyed. Why be conformed to that? But be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Well, God just thinks that's reasonable service for you and me, the bride that's going to be married to his son. God says that's reasonable. You're going to be the future bride of God's son. It's reasonable when I realize that my husband who gave his life for me and died on my place and is coming back for me? Well, that seems reasonable. His dad's simply asking you and I to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. That's reasonable. When you think about everything your groom has done for you, it's pretty reasonable. Let's change the scenario for a moment. We're all the husband now. Okay? How ready do you want your wife to be, your bride to be? How ready? Well, you know, I've been on this sugar diet, so I'm about 400 pounds over. I don't think anybody wants their bride to be like that. You know, there she is. Couldn't fit my wedding outfit, so I got the sweatpants. She's walking down the aisle. Hair's unkept. I don't think anybody wants their bride to be that way. I have never, not, I have never seen a bride that wasn't beautiful. I, it doesn't matter, man. They, it's like babies. They're always beautiful, and it's like brides are always beautiful. They've done everything they could, and they're ready. I don't think we'd want our bride just kind of uncapped. You know, is she living in a way that's going to totally stoke you out at your coming? I don't know. Just stop and think about it. Is she living that way? I mean, yes is the only acceptable answer, team. 
I mean, in the physical, you know, you're, you're standing up there. For those of you who had a wedding, and you hadn't, and then all of, a, all of a sudden the doors open or something. Here she comes. I'll guarantee you, no one's thinking sweatpants. They're not. And that's just for a physical on earth wedding. How much more the God of the universe when he comes for us? Verse 8, and to her, this is us, the bride of Christ, it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen. This fine linen is clean and bright for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. It was granted to her to be arrayed in that. So I don't really know what's at play here. Granted to her sounds like it's something that God is allowing, but then righteous acts of the saints sounds like something I got to do. We know our entrance into heaven is solely predicated upon the righteousness of Jesus, period. But here we are, we're clothed in fine linen, which is the righteous acts of the saints. Is there a contradiction here? I don't think so. Salvation is ours, free gift from God. Now, what you put into that right relationship, it seems like, can be the fine linen that's yours for all of eternity. So let me ask us, what righteous acts have you deposited in heaven? I don't know. I mean, God wants to do his work in us as you and I work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. It says, for, for it's God who works in us and through us. But I got to deny myself and get out of the way. I got to pick up my cross daily, and then I just got to follow Jesus, and he, he does the works in me and through me. Getting in's a gift. We already know we can send financial gifts ahead and deposit them into our account in heaven so that they're there awaiting us, but this says here, clothed in fine linen, which are the righteous acts of the saints. So besides financial gifts, what righteous acts are awaiting you? We see Jesus telling the parable of the talents and the minas where, you know, you know, there was, they did this and something happened. They used what God had gave them. We read in God's word that he has divine works for each one of us to walk in every single day. And he's created these, fine, these divine works. He's already set them in motion. But you know what, team? You and I, we have to die in order to walk in those divine works that God set in motion for us to walk in every day. Yeah, we're saved by grace through faith. It's, it's, not a, it's not of works. It's a gift of God, not of works, so nobody can boast. But we are his workmanship in Christ Jesus, who is created unto good works that God has prepared in advance for us to walk in. That's verse 10 after Ephesians 8, not 2, 8, 9. They're there. See, if you're living for you, you're going to miss those divine works that God has set in motion for you to walk in. But dying to yourself and living for Jesus, man, the sky's the limit. You won't miss anything. We'll still miss stuff, but there'll be so much there. God will use you along the journey. He wants to use you along the journey. He's called you because he wants to use you along the journey. Now that we have the proper garments on, it's party time. Look at verse 9. Then he said to me, right, blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. You've got to be in that calling team. Jesus spoke in Matthew chapter 26, verse 29, but I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. That's the marriage feast here. And whatever Jesus hands me, I'm going to drink it. I'm just going to drink it. It doesn't matter. I'm going to drink it. Spurgeon writes in his commentary, that we are like a Cinderella bride of Christ. Obviously, you know, you think Cinderella is only, I don't know, 40, 50 years old. Apparently, she was around in the mid-1800s. And it really, when you think about it, it kind of makes sense that the bride of Christ is kind of like a Cinderella. You know, this is pre-princess ball, of course, before the prince shows up. I think there's a lot of truth to that. The world has no use for us. It tells us what to do. It kicks us around. It, get, it tries to dictate it. You know, it, 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 it enjoys, you know, putting us down and, and giving us all this stuff to, that, you know, we need to do. And they like to tell us how to do it. And, but, you know, there's a day coming, church, and that day is just around the corner where God rescues us and places us at his table and those who are bossing us around and trying to tell us how to live and what to say and what not to say, 
how Jesus is going to come and destroy all them in his judgment. And we're going to be sitting right there as his princess. Blessed are those who called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true sayings of God. And, and I don't know if this is so overwhelming to John. I fell at his feet to worship him. I mean, you got the godly aged 90 plus something year old man. And is he just so excited he feels like he has to worship someone? I don't know. But he falls to his feet to worship him. But he said to me, no, 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 no. Don't do that. I'm your fellow servant. This isn't the first time John does this, by the way. We know angels and believers are servants who serve the Lord. I am your fellow servant and of your brethren who have the testimony of Jesus. And we know angels and believers alike have the testimony of Jesus. And this angel tells John, look, get up and worship God only. I don't know why John fell. It would be a good question to ask him. Maybe when we're there, we're just going to fall too and go, oh, okay, now I understand why John was falling. We worship God only because the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And I add this word today. It's always been that way. This is the heart of all prophecy, team. Any prophecy that doesn't point to Jesus or point people to Jesus today is false. A lot of voices in the church today. But if they're not pointing to Jesus, hmm, something's off. Jesus speaking in John 5.39, you search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and these, the scriptures, are they which testify of me. Remember Jesus is on the road to Emmaus with the two boys, they're looking down, they feel like Jesus has died, they've lost. And Jesus, starting with all the prophets, went through all of them and gave them a Bible study about himself, about him being the Messiah. Jesus, just hours away from being arrested in John 15, 26, says this, But when the Helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. So I'm always a little leery when it says Holy Ghost service. Uh, shouldn't that say Jesus service? Because the Holy Spirit's going to testify of Jesus. I'm always kind of a little leery there. Jesus, again, speaking in John 16, 14, even closer to being arrested, he says, the Holy Spirit will glorify me for he'll take of what is mine and declare it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said to you, he will take of mine and declare it to you. So if it's true, it's got to be pointing people to Jesus. One last place, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 7, speaking of Jesus, then I said, behold, I have come in the volume of the book it is written of me to do your will, O God. So the true ministry and work of the Holy Spirit is to exalt the Lord Jesus Christ. That's important for us to know in these last days that we live in. In a true moving of God's Spirit, hearts and lives are drawn to Jesus Christ. Not to a man, not to a movement, and certainly not to an experience. It's going to draw me to Jesus. Wow, that worship was so great. Really? So did you see Jesus? Oh, no, I just felt so wonderful. Um, something's a little off in the church here when worship has now become all about my experience rather than the one I'm called to worship. Verse 11, now I saw heaven open. It's only in the book of Revelation that we see the door of heaven open. We see this, we've seen it twice now. In Revelation chapter 4, verse 1, there was a door standing open in heaven, and John heard the words, hey, come on up here. That was his entrance. And now here in verse 11 of chapter 19, this will be his exit as he saddles up and prepares to ride out with Jesus. And these are the names for Jesus. There are six of them here in the next few verses. See if you can pick them out while I read. Now I saw heaven open and behold a white horse. Something a conquering king would ride. He who sat on him was called faithful and true. Amen? I mean, Jesus is all that. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. And why not? He's given them seven years of grace and mercy to repent. His eyes were like a flame of fire. 
coming to bring judgment as he sees things the way that they actually are. And all the chaff is burned up as the, as the eyes of Jesus burn right through it with his perfect holiness. And on his head were many crowns, not one, no, many. See, this speaks to the authority and victory over the whole world because he's the reigning, ruling king of the universe. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood. Now, is that the blood of his enemies or his blood? I don't know. Commentators are divided, so you can take a pick there. And his name is called the Word of God. You know that word that became flesh and walked among us as the one who was meek and mild, Jesus, the little child? Uh, he comes back as judge to judge all those who rejected him and persecuted his kids. And the armies in heaven, this is us team, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Sure seems like there's animals in heaven. Now we're following our husband, our Jesus, to battle. And please understand this. We come as observers because judgment belongs to Jesus. Plus, his battle's over before it begins. Now, if you've never rode a horse before, hey, you're going to get a chance. So don't worry about it. You'll get a chance. We're coming back with Jesus Christ as he establishes his throne on this earth for a thousand years. We saw back in chapter 17, verse 14, where we read, These will make war with the Lamb, and the Lamb will overcome them, for he is Lord of lords and King of kings. And those who are with him are called, that's us, chosen, that's us, and faithful, that's us. Because when we're faithless, he remains faithful. And here we are on our horses. And we're going to be in our glorified body. So look, if, you know, you're thinking, oh, no, I don't know if I can ride a horse. You're in a glorified body. Trust me, you'll ride a horse like a champion. Please notice we possess no weapons other than the fine linen of the saints. Because this is his day of judgment, team. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword that with it he should strike the nations. Please don't think metal. It's not a metal sword. Think words. His word is the sword of the Spirit. Think words. Think of those words that spoke the earth into existence. Let there be light. Boom! Can you imagine what those words are when he says, let them all die? I don't know what it was he's going to say, but don't think metal here. Even as he spoke the earth into existence, don't think metal. He's going to speak destruction to them, and they're going to be totally destroyed. What's he going to say? I don't know. We'll have to wait till we get there. And he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and the wrath of Almighty God. See, when you deal with God's kids, ultimately in the end, he's going to settle the score. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So did you get all six names? What's the first one? Say it loud. Faithful. And Jesus is called faithful because he keeps all of his promises. Amen? He does. Give him your life every day because he is faithful. He'll be faithful to you. What's the next name? True. Jesus is true because he is the truth. Remember, he says, I am the way, the truth, the one and only truth in life. And he says to Pilate, look, I'm the truth. Pilate goes, what is truth? He just said he's truth. All truth comes from Jesus. So you don't have to try and figure out what is true and what is false. No, just look to Jesus. He's true. What's the next name that's assigned to Jesus? Now, the unknown name. So there's a name there, but it's not for public knowledge. Let's just kind of call it secrets in heaven. So what's the next name after that's assigned to Jesus? The Word of God. I sure hope you gave him, the Word of God, time to be intimate with you this past week. I know he was looking forward to it. I know he was hoping for it. I hope you gave him that time. I hope the Babylonian monster system that wants to suck that time away from you and get you busy doing absolutely stuff that doesn't matter for eternity, I hope that stuff didn't happen. And I hope you gave him time. He wants the time. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the only glory as of the, or the, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. 
See, Jesus is pressed between these bindings in book form so he can speak to our hearts. There is power in this book team. That's why the Babylonian system that is destroyed by Jesus does everything in its power to seek to keep you out of it. And only you can declare whether or not it was successful last week or not. If it was, you need to make some changes. This book declares that it, you will grow as you spend time in it. Why? Because it's the word of God. It's Jesus. As I spend G time with Jesus, he's going to change me. Well, you know, I was just a little busy last week. Well, you were too busy investing in the Babylonian system that gets destroyed. You want a challenge? Here it is for those who were not able to get into the word of God last week. Don't eat any, don't eat any physical food until you spend time with Jesus. Five minutes. You know, can't, can't he have five minutes before we fill our faces? Yeah, why not? I mean, somewhere you got to make some changes if, if well, you know, I've just, and, and here's the sad thing, 95% of all of Christianity has never read through the New Testament. 95%. It's probably higher. There's power in this book, team. Hebrews 4, verse 12, for the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the hearts. See, when you pick up Jesus' team on a daily basis, you give him the opportunity to speak truth and hope and life and peace into your life. And he'll speak those things into the deepest recesses of our being. But if you never pick it up, how can you do that? Genesis 1-3, then God said, let there be light. And there was light. There was power in his word. And that's how it's going to be in this last battle. Whatever Jesus says, if it's be destroyed, it's done. It's all over. They're coming to war with their weapons, but before the first shot is fired, before the first missile is launched, before the first nuke explodes, boom, it's all done. They're all dead. There won't be a battle. They're coming to battle, but there won't be a battle. Because it's over before it begins. He's also the king of kings. And when Jesus comes this time on his white horse, he's not going to be a pushover like they thought when he went to the cross. But he went to the cross his choice. Hey, don't you realize I can call down 12 legions of angels? And they'll rescue me right now? Can you imagine what the angels in heaven thought? Yeah, he's calling us. He just said 12 legions of angels. And God said, no, no, back down. Stand down. Stand down. He'll be the reigning king of all kings that will bring judgment to a Christ-rejecting world. And after seven years of wake-up calls, he's not going to hold back when he comes as the Lord of lords. Acts chapter 4, verse 12, for there's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And that would be the name of Jesus, our Lord. See, when Jesus comes, there's going to be no chance to get right. There won't be. And I saw an angel, John says, standing in the sun. Take notice of where he's standing. And he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the birds that fly in the midst of heaven, come and get it. That's what he's saying here. Come and gather together for the great supper, for the supper of the great God. Have you noticed he's doing all the work in this chapter? The husband is, not the bride. It's kind of that way all the way through the Bible. There's two great feasts in this chapter. The marriage supper of the Lamb and dinner for the births. Two great feasts. Everyone gets to attend a feast. I would hope that we're all at the feast of the Lamb. What was interesting to me is the call goes out for the birds and they all obey. Mankind had an opportunity to respond to the grace and mercy of God. They chose not to. And so failing to do so, this incredible angel that must be glowing with the glory of heaven because he's standing in the sun and John sees him in the sun. So that means he's brighter than the sun. And he calls for the birds saying, come and gather together for the supper of the great king or come and gather together for the supper of the great God that you may eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and of those who sit on them and the flesh of all people, free and slave, both small and great. And I saw the beast, the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him who sat on the horse. And 
that's all they do is gather before they're killed and against his army, that's us, spectators. Then the beast was captured and with him the false prophet who worked signs in his presence by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. These two were cast alive into the lake of fire burning with brimstone. This is Gehenna. This is where the eternal place of torment takes place, right here. For the with the sword which proceeded from the mouth of him who sat on the horse, and all the birds were filled with their flesh. Crazy movie right here. I mean, we get firsthand details of the Battle of Armageddon. Remember the evil spirits that went forth from the Antichrist to stir up the kings of the earth to come and battle in the valley of Megiddo for the final showdown? This is it. And when this conflict is in full swing, Jesus comes again with his bride on white horses. I mean, so kind of picture this. The kings of the earth have all gathered. They might be fighting one another. I, I don't know what the demons say to the kings to get them all in the valley of Megiddo. But then all of a sudden, here comes Jesus on his mighty steed. And he is leading the charge. And we're just kind of backup following. We're spectators. We don't have weapons. I don't believe he has a weapon. And when all of these in the valley of Megiddo look up, they see Jesus, and they stupidly turn to fight Jesus. And with one word, I believe, it's all done. Boom, wiped out. And the birds get their feast. I mean, when we, we drive down the road like Woodlands Parkway, there's all, you know, in springtime, there's roadkill all over the place. You know, you got your 20 vultures here and 20 vultures here. Hey, can you imagine how many birds are going to be here? It's going to be crazy. And the beast and the false prophet are cast alive in a lake of fire burning with brimstone. We'll see in chapter 20, that's where the devil's cast as well. It's where they're going to be eternally tormented. Where all those who fight against God's love and grace and forgiveness, they don't repent. They're going to be judged in the great white throne judgment, chapter 20, and they're going to end up there as well. It's only because they wouldn't turn to Jesus. And that's chapter 19. Come to dinner as the bride of Christ and be served by Jesus, or come to war against Jesus and end up as dinner for the birds. Kind of obvious which camp you want to be in, isn't it? I mean, we're called to go out and preach the good news. Well, hey, we, we're out here preaching the good news. I don't want to hear that. No, just hear, hear me out. Do you want to come and have dinner with Jesus as a bride? Or do you want to come and be bird food for the birds? Well, you know, this, I, I kind of like this one. No, nobody would do that. At this point in biblical history, there's only six things left that we know about. Satan is bound, chapter 20. We'll see that right at the beginning of, of next week. The thousand-year reign of Christ on this earth takes place. At the end of that time, Satan is let loose. And so, you know, there's the earth dwellers who are still alive, and they start to multiply. If the earth goes back to what it was like in the Garden of Eden, it's, it's almost like perfect conditions. And they start to multiply. Babies live to be 100 years. And can you imagine the multiplication of babies? In a thousand years, people are old. People are one to a thousand plus. And Satan is let loose to deceive the nations. And, the, and as you, we read chapter 20, it says they all gather together and surround Jerusalem to take out Jesus. <laughs> they should have read their history books. And then there's the great white throne judgment where the non-believers, his works are judged by God. You talk to most people today, especially around here or in other places where there's religion, it's like, how are you planning on getting to heaven? By being good. Hey, well, you're going to get a chance. At the great white throne judgment, your works will be judged by God. Problem is, your works will never be good enough. Heaven and earth will be destroyed. That's all next week. Man, there's a lot of activity next week. And then the new heaven and the new earth comes down in chapters 21 and 22. So five out of the six remaining events will take place and we'll talk about it next week. So bring your unsaved friends. Man, there's a lot of activity going down. If you're going to bring them to something, I would bring them to chapter 20. 
especially as they consider that they're going to stand before God one day and, and all of their works they've done for Jesus are going to be judged. Hey, our, our works are going to go through the fire and whatever survives we take with us into heaven, but our works are not getting us into heaven. No, the blood of Jesus that covers over our sin, that's what gets us into heaven. And you may end up with nothing or you may end up with a lot. But the issue is we get into heaven because we're trusting in what Jesus has accomplished for us. But those at the great white throne, mm, they're going to try and get in by their good works. It's not going not to happen. You know, as we kind of consider everything we saw in chapter 19, what dinner reservation do you have today? And are you confident of that? If you're not confident, then you need to make some changes in your life. You certainly don't want to be those who are, are crying out, Lord, Lord, open to us. You know, the feast has happened, it's going on, and people are knocking on the door. Hey, open up to us. Jesus says, depart from me, I never knew you. I don't know who would be saying, Lord, Lord. I can guarantee you, not the lost, godless world. They're not going to say, Lord, Lord. You know, Jesus says, strive to enter through the narrow gate. Agonize. For many will try, but few will get in. We've got to be in that crowd of agonizing to get through the narrow gate. You don't want to be lukewarm. There's nothing good there. See, the only place to be in our relationship with Jesus is hot, on fire, in love with, passionate about, the one who drives us because he's in us and we understand everything he's done for us. Examine your life, team. You can only do that. I can't do that for you. I can't do that for my wife. I can't do that for my kids. I can only do it for myself. I can only examine my life before the Lord Jesus Christ and allow his spirit to speak to me. But you've got to examine your life and let the Lord Jesus speak to you. See, today you want the Lord to judge you today as one of his children. So if you need to make the corrections or the adjustments or the repent or whatever, you do it today. Our having dinner with Jesus, that's where you and I want to be found. It's critical. It's his righteousness we wear. Our believing God at his word for life's directions as his spirit in us changes us and molds us and shapes us into the image of Jesus as we develop the mind of Christ, that's where we want to be found, team. That happens in a relationship with Jesus. Certainly God's heart for each one of us is to choose life and choose a more, that life that's more abundantly. That's what he has for us. That's his choice for us. I mean... You and I, his bride, are waiting for the most amazing, incredible time in human history for Jesus to return. And the question we've got to ask ourselves is, are we ready? Are we ready? Father, we're thankful for your word that informs us, instructs us, 